In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus traveled around Galilee, teaching and healing. Crowds gathered and followed him. Jesus went up on a mountain and taught the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he starts with eight statements that all begin with the word, blessed. Join us as we journey through these eight descriptions that show where true joy and abundant life can be found. Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Let's put our hands together and welcome all those that are here for the very first time. Hey, we do want to welcome you if you are here for the very first time joining us live in the building or worshiping with us online. We want to thank you so much for coming and being a part of one of our services today. We are very excited to have you with us and hope you guys have been having a fantastic week. So we're going to jump right in today. And if you guys have been here over the last few weeks, actually over the last seven weeks to be exact, then you know that we are in a series called Blessed. What we've been doing is we've been looking at the Beatitudes. If you're here for the very first time, you might be saying to yourself, well, what are the Beatitudes? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. I will tell you, they are the first eight statements of a very powerful sermon that Jesus preached in the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we've been encouraging you over the last few weeks, if you want to read along with us, that sermon is found in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. It is a very powerful, powerful sermon. I hope that you guys have had the exact same experience that I have, and that is as we've been engaging and hearing these messages over the last series of weeks, that the Holy Spirit, that God himself has been coming inside and been doing a deep work. I think it's, it's interesting because as I've been hearing these messages, as Pastor Jimmy's been preaching them, and as I've shared a couple with you, that when we look at the way Jesus calls us to live in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes it's a little bit different than the way we find ourselves actually acting out in the world around us. And so as I've been hearing these messages, as I've been studying for these messages, it's been a challenge. As we've been telling you guys each and every week, our hope is, is that as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're gonna have all eight of these things working in our lives at exactly the same time, not just one or two or three or four. In fact, my guess is that you've probably found a few that you're probably naturally good at or just some ones that you gravitate towards and you, you say to yourself, yeah, I can do those pretty well, but then there's probably been a few where you've said, man, I could really use some work. I know that's true for me. I hope that's true for you because that just means that God's right there with us and he's helping us move forward in the things that he's called us to. But talking about being called, there was one time on the golf course where four guys had finished up around a golf and they went back into the clubhouse to change their shoes. Well, they're sitting on the benches in the clubhouse changing their shoes out and a phone rings uh, next to one man on the bench. He picks it up and on the, other, on, the, on, the, on the voice on the other end of the phone says, hi, honey. He says, hi, honey. You know, how was your golf game? How have you been doing today? And uh, the guy said, oh, I've been doing great. Man, it's been a great game. Uh, I got a lot of great shots in today. So, well, listen, I've been wanting to talk to you about something. You remember that fur coat that I wanted to buy? Well, I went into the store today, and it's reduced. It's down from $4,000 to $2,000. Can you believe it? That fox fur that I wanted. I wanted it so badly, honey. You know how bad I've wanted it. Is it okay if I go ahead and get it today? The man thinks for a second and says, well, if you really want it, are you sure this is what you really want? Yeah, I'm sure, honey, this is what I want. Okay, go ahead and get it. Oh, I'm so excited, thank you so much. Well, listen, you know, I've also been thinking about uh, trading in that old Lexus for that new Jaguar. So I drove by the car dealership today. I went right in and, and the salesman said that he has a deal just for me. He's gonna reduce it from $50,000 to $30,000. But I have to sign today, I have to go back and buy it today. What do you think, honey? 
Is it okay if I go and, and I trade in the, that old Lexus for the brand new Jaguar? The man thinks for a second, are, are you sure? Says, man, that seems like a lot of money. Are you sure we want to spend that right now? And the lady says, oh yeah, absolutely. This is the car. This is the car of my dreams. This is what I've been waiting for. The guy thinks, okay, well, go ahead. If you're sure that you want it, go ahead and buy it. Well, one more thing, honey. One more thing, honey. Remember that house that we've been looking at? Remember that house and it was too expensive and it went off the market? Well, I checked realtor.com today and it's back on the market. And it's way, low than, way lower than it was before. We thought it, it was high at 500000 but now it's reduced all the way to $400,000. What a deal. I happen to call the bank. They've drawn up all the paperwork. All we have to do is walk right in the bank and sign the papers and we are all set. The house is ours. What do you think? Man thinks for a second, kind of gets a little bit of frown on his face. And he's like, well, if you can get him down to 375, I think that's fair and we can do it. The lady's so excited. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited, honey. She hangs up the phone. He hangs up the phone too, puts it down on the bench next to him, looks at the guys in the clubhouse and says, does anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> oh, man, that's somebody. Y'all are just catching it right now. Yeah, that's a... That's a bad day for somebody, right? I mean, some poor guy, he's like, what? I didn't say that. <laughs> Listen, talking about being called, the truth is, is that Jesus has called us to be the type of people that he describes in the Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, God calls for real life change. And when we look at our, our lives and we see the reflection of Jesus, sometimes there are things that need to be changed. Let's look at Matthew 5, 9. This is the beatitude that we're gonna look at today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That word peacemakers, and, and as you can expect, if you've been here for the last few weeks, then you know that the way in which we understand the word, uh, generally in our culture and our society, might be a little bit different than what Jesus is talking about here. So when you look at this word peacemaker, let's first look at what it's not before we look at what it is. So it is not being peaceful. That's not the way Jesus is describing this word at all. It's not being peaceful and it's not wanting to be at peace. It's peacemaking. Well, what exactly is peacemaking if it's not being peaceful and it's not wanting to be at peace? Peacemaking could be defined as this. This is one of the many Bible dictionaries that I used while I was researching for this message and, and this is about the best definition I think that we can, we can find and it was this. Those who actively work to bring about peace and reconciliation where there is hatred and enmity. What is enmity? Enmity is just when there's two people that are opposed, when there's two people that see the same thing from different perspectives, very different perspectives, when they're opposed to each other. When I was doing the research for this, it reminded me of a story that I had went through early in my ministry years, early when I had become a pastor. And don't judge me too harshly, because I think in, in any area where we're working towards the Lord and we have to grow in, right? And this was just an area in which I had to grow in. I remember that when I first started, there was a, a group of ministries that needed some leaders, and there were some serve teams, just like we have here at Grace Life Church, and I talked to a few different people. And I asked them, hey, would you be interested in being the leader of one of these serve teams? And so this person said yes, and, and I talked to another person and explained to them what the responsibilities were and what the expectations were, and they said yes, and I went down to the next person and the next person, you know, just trying to gather some leaders and, and helping people find their spot in the kingdom of God. And so there was a leaders meeting that was coming up a couple weeks away, and during that leaders meeting, I called all of those people up that were, that were interested in being a leader, or I thought were you know, committing to being a leader already. So I called them all up to the front, and we pray over them. Well, the last person that I called up to the front didn't have the same idea of what was happening as I did. 
I thought that they had already committed to being a leader in this area, and they had not, they didn't understand that expectation at all, that perspective at all. In fact, they thought something very differently. They thought I was just asking if they were interested to have further conversations. So you can imagine how that went. They were embarrassed, and they were a little shocked that I called them up on stage. You know, I just didn't make the expectation clear at all. But I didn't know that for month one, month two, month three, month four. So now this person is serving in this role that I've prayed for, I've brought them up and said, hey, this is the leader, and, and they don't want to not you know, do it well, and they don't want to embarrass themselves or really embarrass me, and so they just serve in this role. Well, a couple other things happen, and I get this email from this person. Have you ever, have you ever gotten an email from a person? It's just long, <laughs> and, and there's a lot of offenses in this email. And honestly, most of them are miscommunication between me and this person, and, and it's a fair email. And I read through that email, and I think to myself, do I really want to deal with all of this? I'll just be honest with you. I looked at that and I thought, I do not want to step into all this. Like, what is this conversation going to be? It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painstaking. They're probably going to blow me up because I'm, I'm recognizing some truth in this email. I'm like, yeah, I probably moved too quickly there. I shouldn't have done that. I needed to do this. And, and I could have just tried to keep the peace, which is what we just talked about is not peacemaking at all. But what is peacemaking? It's actively working to bring about peace and reconciliation where there's opposition. We had opposition, me and this person. So I decided to, my wife and I, and, and that couple would come in and we invited an elder in and, and we had a meeting. And we went through every line item in that email from one to the next to the next to the next. This offense, the next offense, the next offense. And I'll be honest with you, I was nervous going in really the whole three or four days before because I just didn't wanna, I didn't wanna have to go through that process I just wanted it to go away, honestly. But I learned something very valuable in that moment because at the end of that, we were able to be reconciled in each and every one of those aspects. And at the end, we were actually closer. Our family, my, me and that person and our families were closer with those people than we were even before because we truly had peace and reconciliation. It was amazing. And there were some offenses on that list that needed to be dealt with. Most of it had to do with the way that I was communicating just in general, and I learned a lot. Now, you might not have that exact same situation. It might come at another way for you. When my wife and I got married, uh, my wife's family does these amazing family reunions. Maybe you guys come from a family that does family reunions. We get together at Christmas, at my, my side of the family, we get together at Christmas and Thanksgiving and have some, you know, some meals and stuff, and it's fun. But my wife's family, man, when they get together, once or twice a year sometimes, they'll get together and they drive from other states. Like, that's not the way my family operates, right? I mean, these folks, they drive from other states. They're coming from Michigan. They're coming from Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. Like, they're coming from everywhere. They group together in one spot. But it's funny, when they get together, sometimes there's opposition amongst the family. And it's funny to watch because I know, kind of as an outsider, I mean, insider, outsider, right? It's not, I'm part of the family, but it's my wife's family. And uh, I'll see, I'll know that there's like an uncle and another uncle, you know, brothers or something that, that aren't getting along. But I watch the family and they never talk about it, like ever. I mean, it's just peace at any cost. It's like, no, no, we don't want to ruffle the feathers here. We're not really looking for reconciliation. What we're looking for is just to have a nice family gathering and not have to bring up anything of any importance. Maybe you guys have been there before. Uh, now, they've gotten better at it over the past, but sometimes that's just how it works. And, and I get it. I understand that. Maybe for you, it's a disagreement at work. Maybe when you're around the lunch table at work or you go out to lunch with some of your buddies from, uh, from your job or from the ladies at work, what happens? You get around a lunch table and you know two people have an issue with each other. Maybe it's work-related, maybe it's just personal. And they just don't talk about it, ever. 
Everybody knows it's there, but they never talk about it. Why? Because we're just trying to keep the peace. We're not trying to be peacemakers. Talking about one-on-one in relationships, how about in your marriage? I mean, the truth is, and don't, don't look at them right now, you might be sitting next to your spouse right now, and you know that there's an issue between you two, and you haven't talked about it for years. I've had people come into my office in marriage counseling and work through things where one person has had an offense with another person for years, and that person never knew it, but they're trying to keep the peace. You guys get what I'm saying. That can happen in parenting, that can happen in friendships, it can happen in almost every relationship. Not almost, it can happen in every relationship. So let's dig down a little deeper in this verse and see what God is actually trying to help us understand so we can truly be peacemakers, so we can actively work to bring peace and reconciliation. Again, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's look at two different aspects of a way that you can be a peacemaker. The first one is peace with God. So when I'm talking about peace with God, what is it that I'm talking about there? Peace with God mainly deals with the need that we have for reconciliation between us and God. Now, we may already know this, but the truth is, is that when we were born, there was a wall that existed between us and God. It's called sin. And so this wall is higher than any wall that we can climb. It's wider than anything we can walk around. And there's nothing we can do. Obviously, I'm not talking about a physical wall, but this kind of metaphorical wall that exists between us and God spiritually. We cannot access God until that wall comes down. Where did that wall come from? How is it there? We have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to be able to understand that. And you might be sitting here today, or you might be joining us online, and you might say to yourself, look, Eric, I know about the book of Genesis, I've read it, I understand the creation account, I know what happened in the garden, but we have to go back there for just a few minutes for this message to get this picture of why reconciliation is so important so we can understand it from the very beginning. So just bear with me for just a couple minutes as we revisit some things that maybe some of us already know. So we know that as we look in the book of Genesis that God created everything, and each day he said that it was good, and then he got around and he created uh, man and woman, he created Adam and Eve, and we know that he visited them in the cool of the garden in the eve, and he said that everything was good. But we also know that the enemy, the devil, took the form of a serpent. And one day he visited Eve and he asked her a question, and it had to do with the one thing that God said that they could not do. I mean, you think about it with your kids, or you think about, you know, obedience. You have to at least have one thing that you can't do to know if you're actually obeying. So God basically said they could do anything and anything that they wanted. They could enjoy the garden. They could eat from every tree. They could do anything that they wanted, except they couldn't do one thing. I'm sure most of us know that. They couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the only thing that they couldn't do in all of their life. It's the only thing they couldn't do. So, the serpent comes, our enemy, the Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he comes to Eve, and he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They go, oh, no, not only can we not eat from it, we can't even touch it, which in scripture we see that God didn't even say that to Adam and Eve, at least what's recorded. And so he says, you know, the serpent says to Eve, you know, really, the reason he doesn't want you to eat that, because he doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that you're gonna be wise like him. Basically, in my mind, when I look at the situation, Basically, the serpent is telling Eve, God's just gonna be jealous of you. He doesn't want the competition. So don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man, are you kidding me? I'd run right over there and eat it, is basically what the serpent's saying. Now, when I think about the fruit, 
on what, what type of fruit it is. I know the Bible doesn't say it, but you know, I grew up in Florida and we used to travel to Michigan because we had a lot of family in Michigan. On I-75, Interstate 75, we used to travel right through Georgia in the heart of like where the Georgia peaches are. So like Georgia peach, I, South Carolina is known for peaches too, I know that. But like a big old Georgia peach on that tree is what I'm thinking must have been tempting Eve. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she just want to pull down one of those, slice that thing up. Am I making you guys hungry? <laughs> You're going to get a big old Georgia peach. We don't know what it was. But we do know that Eve looked at the fruit and she said, you know what? Man, that does look awful tasty. I bet that's going to make my life even better. She took it down. She ate it. She gave it to her husband. Adam, and he ate it, and in that moment, in that moment, the result of that act, there's been a barrier between us and God for all of human history, always. There always has been, and there always will be. It's how we're separated. So God comes down into the cool of the garden again, and he asks Adam and Eve, or he calls out, hey, where are you? Now, did he know where Adam and Eve was? Absolutely. It wasn't for him, it was for them. They're hiding, they had covered themselves, they had sewed fig leaves on them because they realized that they were naked the moment that they ate it. And so he goes to the serpent and he makes this statement in Genesis 3.15. It's a very important statement. This is God speaking to the serpent, to the devil. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's that word again, enmity. And between your offspring and hers. Talking about the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. People that live here on the earth. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's talk about crushing your head. God's looking forward when he's gonna send his son Jesus. And Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna die on the cross. And because of that, he's gonna crush the kingdom of darkness forever. He's gonna crush their king. He's gonna crush Satan. And also says, and you will strike his heel. What Jesus had to do on the cross was anything but peaceful. I mean, you think about that moment when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. When he died, the whole earth turned dark. The veil in the Holy of Holies tore in two. It was the most disruptive moment in all of human history. So how do we have peace with God? Because of what Jesus did. In that moment, that crazy moment, that epic moment for all of human history, that is how we have peace. The single most disruptive point in all of human history brought about the greatest peace that the world has ever known. What an example what an example for us to understand what the cost of peace might actually be. See, it's interesting because in our lives, we think that peace is going to come at the cost of peace, taking our hands off of it and saying, oh, we don't need to do anything. It's peace at all cost. That's the opposite of what Jesus did. Imagine if Jesus would have come and he would have said to Satan, you know what? Peace at any cost. I'm not gonna engage in that process. I'm not gonna die for the sins of the world. You know what, let's just strike a bargain. Can you imagine, what would our world be like today? What would actually happen? What would salvation even mean for us if we would even have it? We know that didn't happen. Look at Colossians 1.19. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Of course, also specifically talking about the cross and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. It is crazy to me to think that the most peace that we would ever experience came from the most disruptive point in ever on human history. I think it's a picture for us. I think we have to understand that example. We're gonna talk about it more in this message, but we have to get to the place where we realize to actually have true peace, we have to actively work to bring about reconciliation where there is hatred and where there is enmity. 
So I told you there was two aspects of a peacemaker that we were gonna look at. Peace with God, but let's look at the second one. And this is where it gets really like down and dirty for us, and that's peace with people. Let's look at one verse in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's an interesting choice of words. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. What in the world is scripture talking about here? Paul's writing this book to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the hostility, the wall that was broken down between Jew and Gentile. See, they hated each other. There was enmity between them. The Jews, in portions of them, didn't even believe that Gentiles could come in to know Jesus. And so that was a whole work that the early church went through. Can I tell you, it's the same thing for us today. We have enmity between us and other people. It can be in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different areas of our relationship. It could be in your family. It could be in relationships. We'll talk about some of the practical examples in a minute. But let's finish with verse 16. It says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Killing the hostility. Where does that hostility actually exist? Do we know? It's inside of us. See, Jesus came to break down the wall that was between us and God, that way we might kill the hostility in us so that we could bring down the dividing wall of hostility between us and other people. That's what God came to do. See, and it really can't happen until we truly have peace with God. Then we can start in the direction of peace with people. Let me read to you another verse. It's 1 John 4.20. It says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, has, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Can I tell you, if we are not comfortable with diversity here on earth, we are gonna hate heaven. <laughs> I mean, we are gonna hate it because heaven is gonna be the most diverse place in the world. You know what it says in the book of Revelations that every tribe, every tongue, every people, everyone ever are gonna stand before and worship our King Jesus together. Think about every kind of group of people you can possibly imagine that has ever been created from all of human history, all the way down from Adam and Eve, all the way through the end of time, there's gonna be a group of people that's gonna be representative of those people. That's crazy, think about all the different types of people that are gonna be standing there. Think about all the work of hostility between us and other people that there's still to be done. And remember, it could be people that we're with right now worshiping online with, or it could be right now with people that we're sitting in this room with. Let me read to you another verse, 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, this is the first thing that we're gonna look at here, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we see there that scripture tells us that we have two things. We have the ministry of reconciliation and we have the message of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is something to do. The message of reconciliation is something to say. So think about all these things in our life, all these things that we can do and we actually do. Think about all these things that we say and then we actually say. So what is it that we're actually supposed to do and what is it we're actually supposed to say? Let's get really practical for just the last few minutes that we have 
our time together with today. I'm gonna go through a list of things, first looking at ways in which we appease areas in our life, and then other areas, the same areas in which we actually are supposed to bring peace to these areas. So I'm gonna start with something very simple, very light, so we can kind of get in the flow and kind of understand what we're talking about together as we do this together. So maybe you guys have a family dog that you guys have. We had a family dog, his name was Jack, he was a black lab, we love this dog. Uh, we don't have that dog anymore, unfortunately, but uh, this dog was fantastic. Now, some of the time, especially before we got him trained, uh, he'd come up to the dinner table, you know, maybe you guys are eating at the dinner table or in the living room or wherever it is you guys eat, the breakfast nook or something like that, and the dog comes up, and what do dogs wanna do when there's food on the table, at least my dog? They wanna eat off the food on the table, right? I mean, they want the food. They, they could have food, at least my dog, but he could have food in his bowl and he wants the food off the table. I mean, I get it. I mean, these are like hard little pebbles of, you know, we have like potatoes and steak and chicken or whatever, right? So that dog looks at that, what's on that, on that food on that table, and he says to himself, I want that food. So let's look at this idea through appeasement first. Appeasement is, I, I don't want that dog to do that in that moment, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna take some food off the table and I'm gonna put it in that dog's mouth. Does it appease him? Yes. Absolutely, for about two seconds. <laughs> That's about how long it takes for my dog to eat like an entire hamburger from like his mouth to his belly. It takes about two seconds, okay? That's appeasement, okay? That's what that is. Now let's get a little deeper. Let's get a little deeper. And, and as we get a little deeper, it might step on our toes just a little bit. In fact, I know it's gonna step on our toes a little bit because it steps on my toes a little bit. Uh, this first one is, is it, it steps on my toes. So let's Think about a time when we've seen a child, don't think of me, even though I just told you I'd do it, a child is pulling on his mom or pulling on his dad, and they want their attention. And, and, and we move to appeasement. What does appeasement look like in this maybe? Well, maybe your, your kid comes up, and they want some attention, and, and you just want to kind of get out of that situation for the second. What do you do? Maybe you pull out your phone, and you give it to them, and they go and, you know, they play on their phone, and they give them, you know, they watch a video or whatever. Like, is, is that peace or is that appeasement? For me, that's definitely appeasement. I'm trying to just like, here, hang on, guys. And that's not what we want to do at all, right? How about with our marriage? How about when our wife, guys, gives us the side eye? Anybody know what the side eye is? <laughs> I, I know what the side eye is. <laughs> I get it sometimes. It's, it's like this. She looks at me out the corner, the side of her eye. Like, what you doing over there, fool? <laughs> like, you seriously didn't just say that. Or you seriously aren't going to just walk through that process right now, right? Like, we're going to have to have a conversation about that. Uh, what's appeasement? Honey? You know, I think you need a new purse. <laughs> I think you need a new purse. Uh, you know what? I think you need, some, you need some new shoes, baby. Go grab some new shoes. Go shopping. Go have a fun day. You know what? Go take some girlfriends out to dinner. Go hang out. That's appeasement, right? I mean, that's, that's all that is. That's just appeasement. All right, so let's go a little bit deeper. We're going to go a little, bit, a little bit deeper here on these next two. So what about in the area? And I think these have to be done person to person. Okay, these aren't meant to be like blasted on Facebook and, and these aren't meant to necessarily be said from like a big public space. I mean, I know I am right now, but we're just going through the scripture together. Um, what about like in the area of racism? What about that? What does appeasement look like for racism? You know, God's called us to be peacemakers where there's hatred, where there's animosity, where there's enmity, where there's opposition. God's called us to help us. God's called us to work in that situation to bring peace and reconciliation. You know, I talked for a minute about how we don't necessarily do big family reunions in my family, but we've had, you know, a lot of family dinners around Christmas and Thanksgiving, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm white. <laughs> you see that? My skin, I'm, I'm a white guy. And uh, so, uh, for the most part, most of my family, like, throughout generations have been white. So, 
when we get to family dinners, I'm around a bunch of white people. And, and when we're around a bunch of white people, especially like years ago, and, and some of it's generational, some of it's not, to be honest with you. Um, I'll hear some things said about someone of a color that's not white that I know isn't right. Like, it's not right. Maybe you've been in that situation, regardless of what color skin you look down and see. Um, maybe you've been in that situation where you've heard somebody say something at a gathering where you know it's not right. What's appeasement look like there? You know, I think appeasement looks like something like this maybe. Hey, uh, let me show you what uh, uh, this amazing art project that my kid just did. And you run it into the room, right? Because you don't want to get into that situation. Hey, dinner's ready. Maybe at the dinner table you hate broccoli. Pass the broccoli, right? I mean, like, because you just don't want to engage that conversation. Why? I mean, why would you want It's peace at any cost, right? It's appeasement. Here's another tough one. But abortion. Man, that's tough. It's a tough topic. It's a tough topic to bridge peacemaking into. I mean, think about 40 to 50 million babies a year are lost to abortion. It averages 125,000 a day. That's a lot. 125,000 babies a day, today, are going to be lost. I was doing the research. I was crying about it. It's it's powerful. it's, It's hard to even read and research it, to be honest with you. When I think of it as a church, you know, not necessarily as Grace Life Church, but I mean the church, and you go back years, um, maybe decades, and you think, was there appeasement there? I don't, I don't know. I think we have to at least ask the question. You know, it, it challenges me today to think, are there issues in our life as a church, as individuals? And you got to keep it individual because God calls us to be peacemakers to other people, right? It's people we're talking about here, actual people. So when you're looking at people, and you're going to have conversations with people, how is it that God is calling you? And, and don't think for a second, yeah, I know a person that really needs to hear this message. No, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to you right now. God's, God's talking to you in this verse in Matthew 5, 9. So what areas in our life could we be facing right now that we're appeasing? That God's saying, no, no, we need, we need peace in that situation. We need reconciliation. So let's look at that same idea of all those, all those topics, but let's look at what peace might look like. So how about the dog at the table? Let's take a breath and bring it back light for a second, right? Just take a breath for a second. How about the dog at the table? He comes over and he begs. Well, you can't give him food. <laughs> if you want peace, if you, if you want that to stop, I mean, reconciliation with your dog, I'm just trying to make it light for a second. You got to train that dog. In fact, we had to train that dog. We had to send that dog away to obedience training for two weeks because we couldn't do it. We could not figure out how to not get that dog to beg off the table. We sent that dog away for two weeks to obedience training. That dog came back. He never one time tried to get food off that table. Like, I don't know what they did to that dog, but he was awesome, man. He was obedient. Um, and it's peace. How about a child wanting your parents' attention? You know, my kid comes up. I got to look at it as a teaching moment. Every time. Every single time. Look him in the eyes. Connect with him. Let them know that they mean something. Let there be reconciliation. Let there be true peace in those moments. How about when your wife gives you the side eye? Yeah, guys, drop everything. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. <laughs> Schedule a couple dates on the calendar, right? I mean, and I'm not saying just to pass it off. I'm saying in my house, what we put on the calendar truly is the most important things that we're gonna do. Think about vacation you're gonna have like next April, right? You're gonna put it on the calendar. Why? Because it's truly important. So when I tell my wife, hey, listen, you know what? That's an important thing we need to talk about there. We've been married for 21 years, have six children, three boys, three girls, and we still have things that we gotta talk about. We gotta work it out. She's an adult, I'm an adult. We see two things differently. I mean, anybody married? (laughs) 
You ever see something differently than your spouse? Yeah, like every day, <laughs> every day. So what do we gotta do? We gotta talk about those things. Don't be one of those folks that, you know, you're sitting next to that person right now and you truly need to have reconciliation. You've never brought it up. That's keeping peace at any cost. That's not true reconciliation. That's not peace. How about racism? What do we do there? What does true peace look like? Well, for me, in my situation, it means that when that conversation's had, that's not right, that I step into it. Say, hey, you know, aunt, whoever, I'm not gonna say names. I mean, you know, I mean like, hey, you know, I think there's a better way to look at that. You know, let me tell you about the wall that came down between me and God or, you know, like whatever, like step into the conversation a little bit. Now, we have to be careful there and we have to understand because God has not sent his followers to go into the world to cause problems, but to send peace and reconciliation. And, and when people look at us, we should be peacemakers. When people look at us and our, our history, our track record of dealing with sensitive topics and situations, they shouldn't see disruption and pain. What they should see is they should see reconciliation. So you can test yourself in this a little bit. When you have a conversation, especially about something like racism, and the conversation blows up, there's probably a better way to do it, right? Because when Jesus has conversations, he brings reconciliation. That's what he did. And could that really happen? Well, it could. You know why? Because he, he reconciled a sinner to a perfect God. He can take the wall of hostility out of us and can help us be reconciled to other people. That's how we know it can happen. I mean, I haven't had a good track record of that. And that's why the Beatitudes are tough. They're tough. It's who Jesus has truly called us to be. So that way when people outside of the church look into the church and they see it, this is what they should see, that we are true reconcilers. How about the idea of abortion? Man, how do you bring peace to that? I think it at least starts by hearing people's personal stories. I mean, I think that wasn't what I was expecting you to say at all. You know, I think that when people go through really hard things in their life, the best thing you can do is have a really wide ear, a really wide open ear to help them walk through that process to see what they've been through. The truth is that probably at least in this service or one of our services or watching us online, there's probably multiple people that have had abortions. Um, if you look at, at the statistics, it's just, it's pretty common. And so I think it's, you have to be very careful about how you manage this conversation and in this, in this situation in our day and time. Doesn't mean that you have peace at any cost, appeasement, but at the same time, peace is reconciliation, which means at the end of the conversation, you shouldn't have people yelling and screaming at you. <laughs> That's not what God's called us to do at all, but he has called us to speak into the situation. Do you know that the primary way that the Bible relates peace in this verse in Matthew 5, 9 is actually when we act like Jesus by bringing the good news to people, the gospel when we introduce people to Jesus and they have an opportunity for reconciliation between their creator and them. That's when they truly experience reconciliation. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul uses an example from Isaiah. And I wanna read to you that original example in Isaiah. Isaiah 52, seven says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. See, we are like beautiful people that come to people that bring reconciliation. The world is in great need of reconciliation. They need peacemakers. They need people that are willing to actively engage in a conversation for the point of bringing peace and reconciliation. Sometimes what we see is a lot of people having conversation, but it's more disruptive than it is reconciled. And that's not what God's calling us to, it's the opposite. But at the same time, we can't step back and think, oh, you know what, I'm not gonna put my voice in that situation at all. 
if God's people don't step into situations in our life where we're called to and speak our voice and become peacemakers, then where's the peace gonna come from? God's sending us as his ambassadors to help reconcile the world back to him. It's what advancing the kingdom is all about. And with every beatitude, this one ends with a blessing too. It's Matthew 5, 9 again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What does it mean to be a son of God, a daughter of God? Most scholars believe it's talking about the character of God more than position. It means when we're sharing the good news, we look like Jesus the most. When God is using us in the process of reconciliation, we are truly following the example of our King. I want to encourage you here today. Use that example to bring peace. We look more like Jesus, more than ever, when there's a situation that needs reconciliation and we step into it and help bridge that gap with Jesus to be there. It is truly when we look like Jesus because it is what he came to do on this planet to reconcile us to him. What a partnership, what an opportunity we have to come alongside of Jesus as his ambassadors and be allowed to be peacemakers. And he kind of like leaves it with us. And, okay, you guys go be the peacemakers now. Look at what I did. I know you can do it. I trust you. I believe you. I have faith for you. He preached this sermon to a multitude of people. And now today we have that same message. And he says, go and bring it to the world. And you're going to see reconciliation. And you're going to see peace. And you're going to see my love. That's what God calls us to do. I believe as a church that's what we're called to do. Can't wait to see what the conversations are going to be like this week. I can't wait to hear all the stories next week as people come back like, yeah, let me tell you about this. and Let me tell you about this, Eric. And man, I can't believe it. I'm excited to hear about it. Tell us about it next week when you come back and you step into all these great conversations and God uses you to reconcile people. Maybe you're here right now and you're not sure about what that area is. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer and ask God to show us what an area is that he wants us to step in maybe even this week. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, I come before you today and Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the area in our lives this week that you want us to step into. What is that area for me? Again, it's not for the person you're thinking about sharing this message with, but it's for you. Every single one of us has areas in our lives that God's calling us to bring peace to, to bring reconciliation in. Just go before him right now. Lord, what is that area? Maybe you know it and you're just a little nervous about it. Lord, give me strength to step into that. Give me peace to step into it. Help me have the right words. Give me wisdom. Help me to have your character. Help me to show people your love while having a really difficult conversation. It might be with somebody in your family. It might be with the person you're sitting next to right now. I wanna pray for another group of people too. In fact, I'm gonna say a prayer in just a minute and I'm gonna invite you to say, maybe for the very first time, and this is a prayer that's gonna remove the wall between you and God. Maybe you came in today or you're worshiping with us online and you know that there's a wall between you and God. There's a separation between you and him. There's a prayer we're gonna pray right now where you can make Jesus your king, you can put your trust and faith in him, and that wall comes down and you have access to God. You have access to him, you have access to your king, you have access to your savior. So if that's you here today and you wanna make that prayer, if you wanna make Jesus your Lord, you wanna make Jesus your King, you don't have to say it out loud, but mean it with all of your heart, say it under your breath or in your heart right now. Say this, dear God, 
I come before you. I make you my king. I make you my Lord. I trust you with all these areas in my life. I need that wall to come down that exists between me and you. Help me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins and help me put my trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we put our hands together and celebrate with those there. Thank you, Jesus, Lord.